Well, our sermon text for this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to take a look at chapter 19. Uh, We'll pick up in verse 41 and then read through the end of the chapter all the way in verse 48. So if you're able, I'd ask you to once again rise for the hearing of the Gospel text, and we'll read in Jesus' name. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. Heavenly Father, your word is truth. Lord, we pray that you would sanctify us by that truth. Lord, as we now look at this passage from the Gospel of Luke, pray that you would show us our sinfulness and need for a Savior. Lord, lead us us to repentance and strengthen our faith in Jesus Christ. By your word, Lord, strengthen us and make us ready for your service. Pray these things in your holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, starting in 6 AD, Jerusalem and the whole area of Judea were under Roman rule. But apparently, the region of Judea was one of the least desirable uh, posts in Roman government service. Because of this, Judea ended up with the worst rulers that Rome had to offer. Their rulers were increasingly violent, they were cruel, they were dishonest, and they were self-seeking. And the Hebrew people didn't take very well to that. As time went on, the Hebrew people became increasingly resistant to the Roman occupation of Judea, and they became prone to rebellion. Things really came to a head in 66 AD when open rebellion broke out in the area. There are many accounts that we could look at from this time uh, to see what was going on, but for this sermon, it's enough to just say that Judea was in rebellion, and Rome took notice as to what was happening. The emperor Nero sent his general Vespasian out to put an end to this rebellion. By 68 AD, Vespasian has done most of his job. He had isolated the capital city of Jerusalem, and he was ready to lay siege to it. But Nero took his life in 69 AD, and Vespasian ascended to the throne. And so that left his son, Titus, to continue the war against the Jews. Titus eventually surrounded Jerusalem and laid siege to the city, a siege that lasted for over six months, before he finally conquered it, put down the rebellion, and destroyed the temple in 70 AD. As Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he wept. And he said, would you... Even you have known on this day the things that make for peace, but they are hidden from your eyes. 
For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now at a first glance, it would appear that Jesus is weeping as he sees Jerusalem because of what would happen in the next 30 to 40 years. Because the people of uh, Judea didn't know how to make peace with the people of Rome and instead lived in open rebellion, their destruction would come. You see, as terrible as the fall and destruction of Jerusalem would be, I don't believe that's the main thing that has Jesus weeping in our passage. Let's set our sermon text into its context a little bit in the Gospel of Luke. In the passage that just precedes our verses, we have Luke's account of the triumphal entry. In that passage, you'll recall Jesus was riding into Jerusalem for the very last time. He was going uh, to celebrate the Passover. And you remember he'd be betrayed and arrested and suffer at the hands of Pilate and then be crucified bearing the sins of mankind. But as Jesus rides in on, on that day, on that Palm Sunday, he rides into the praises and rejoicing of the gathered crowds. In Luke's gospel, he records that the rejoicing of the people is so great that the Pharisees are annoyed, and they tell Jesus to silence and rebuke his disciples, to which Jesus responds, I tell you, if they were silent, even the very stones would cry out. Then just following what we have in our sermon text with Jesus crying over Jerusalem, and his prophecy of the destruction that is coming, we read about Jesus going in and cleansing the temple. He says, it is written, my house should be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. We have to keep in mind, Jesus went to Jerusalem to celebrate the last Passover that he was going to have with his disciples. And the Jewish feasts and festivals were things that required sacrifice. So in the days of Jesus, the practice had become that rather than dragging your sacrifice, your animal with you from wherever in the world you lived to Jerusalem, instead you would just show up in Jerusalem and purchase the sacrifice that you needed when you got there. That meant that there needed to be both vendors and money changers. And since people had to get their sacrifices, since this was a requirement, it also meant that those vendors and money exchangers could take advantage of those who were from out of town. The animals that were sold were sold with inflated prices, and the money that was exchanged was exchanged at bad rates. So Jesus isn't just cleansing the temple of those that sell animals. He's cleansing the temple of those that are taking advantage and robbing their neighbors. In both cases, the triumphal entry and the cleansing of the temple, the people are, are getting it wrong. They're not getting it entirely wrong, but they're, they're still getting it wrong. This is easy to see in the cleansing of the temple. Rather than the people there just providing a much-needed service for those that were going to the temple to make sacrifice, the merchants and money exchangers were robbing their own countrymen. Their sin is easy to see. Their getting their faith wrong is easy for us to understand. They could have been a blessing and a service to their neighbor, and instead, they were extorting their neighbor. It wasn't something they were doing with faith in God and a desire to serve him at the center, but instead it was their own selfish greed that drove them. 
Seeing how they got it wrong at the triumphal entry takes a bit of a closer look. We have the long-awaited Messiah. We have God in the flesh riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And the crowds, they're singing his praises. They're calling Jesus the son of David. They're shouting Hosanna, which means, Lord, save us, we pray. Everything the crowd does looks good, right? It looks just like it should. But we have to remember that very few people in that crowd actually understood that Jesus was the Messiah. And even if they did hope that he was the Messiah, most of them were looking for a conquering king to overthrow the Roman oppressors, rather than a Messiah who would lay down his life to redeem mankind. They might be praising Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem, but they were praising him for the wrong reasons. So we have this passage then in the middle that on first glance seems to be all about the Hebrew people not being able to find peace with the Romans and finding judgment because of that. And it's sandwiched in between these other two accounts, the triumphal entry and the cleansing of the, of the temple. And these two accounts, amongst other things, they both deal with the Hebrew people getting their faith wrong on them missing out on who the Messiah is and what he came to do and missing out on the whole point of the sacrificial system. See, there's this thing about the Gospels. None of the Gospel writers wrote down things in a random order. They wrote everything down in a connected way. So if you have the theme of, of the people not getting their faith right right before a text and right after a text, very likely that passage in the middle carries the same theme as well, even if you don't see it right away. And our passage here is no different. See, Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem, and he's speaking about their judgment. But it's also about the Hebrew people getting their faith wrong. We see this especially in the way that Jesus ends what he has to say when he says, you did not know the time of your visitation. The time of their visitation, as Jesus speaks those words, is now. Because God in the flesh was there among them, and they didn't recognize it. He came to pay the price for their sins, and they didn't see it. He was the fulfillment of all the feasts and festivals, and they missed it completely. You see, the Hebrew people had every advantage. They had their history as God's chosen people. They had the Old Testament scriptures, and now they had the Messiah in their midst. But as Jesus said, these things were hidden from their eyes. Jesus said they didn't know the things that made for peace, and not just a peace with Rome, but more importantly, they didn't know what made for peace with God. That peace ultimately comes from trusting in the Messiah, in the one who laid down his life to bring peace and forgiveness and a restored relationship with God and the promise of life eternal. But they didn't see that. And because of that, their judgment would come. Even though Jesus was mourning the unrepentance of the people and their failure to see that the Messiah was in their midst and he was accomplishing their salvation, the judgment of Jerusalem was still many years off for them. And that's the way it works in our own lives with our own sin many times. You see, our sin may not get found out immediately, it may not come to light for years or decades, and sometimes we can even keep our sins hidden from other people for our entire lives. Martin Luther 
in one of his sermons on this text said this. The same holds for other sins as well. If a person doesn't refrain, punishment will soon follow. If a person is disobedient toward his magistrate or schoolmaster or parish pastor and able to outrun them all, he will eventually fall into the hands of Master Jack or the hangman. And if he escapes Master Jack, in the end, the devil gets him. You see, it's possible that our sins will never get found out by any other human being, but that doesn't mean our sins will go unpunished or unjudged. You see, there's no sin that goes unpunished and unjudged. So these words of Jesus should serve as a very stern warning for us to take very seriously what God has to say in his holy word, to live our lives by what God has commanded so that we don't continue in the same sins of the Hebrew people and fail to recognize Jesus and his visitation. Because Jesus has continually promised to visit his people, and he comes to us through word and sacrament today. He's promised to be wherever two or three are gathered in his name. So we need to take care not to despise God's word or the hearing of it, and take care not to neglect gathering together with the saints, with other believers in Christ. Because Jesus still comes to us. He visits us. But do we see and recognize it when he does? In that same sermon, Luther also said this, Our Lord God is gracious. He is able and willing to forgive. He knows our weak, sinful flesh. If only we turn from our sin and listen to him. But he cannot suffer headstrong refusal to recognize the time of his visitation, but allows all manner of calamity to befall such contempt and sin. You see, sin must be punished. It must be judged. But that doesn't mean that you and I are the ones who need to face that judgment and face that wrath for our sin. You see, that was the reason Jesus was riding into Jerusalem for that final time in the triumphal entry. He was riding in to lay down his life bearing the sins of the world. That means your sin and mine. And then Jesus would face the judgment for our sin. The wrath of God would be poured out upon him and not just a part of it, Jesus received the full measure of God's wrath for our sin. He became our propitiation, paying the price for our sins in full, that we might be forgiven. You see, avoiding the fate of Jerusalem isn't about becoming a perfect and sinless person by our own strength, because that's simply something we fallen human human beings can't do. Instead, it's about putting our faith in the perfect and sinless one, And Jesus Christ, as Luther Luther said, our Lord God is gracious, able, and willing to forgive sin. And he knows our weak, sinful flesh if we would only turn from our sin and listen to him. And in so doing, in turning from our sin and turning toward God and trusting in the finished work of Christ for us, though we have not lived a perfect and sinless life, we are declared to be perfect and sinless in and through Christ. And because God's wrath for sin was poured out upon Christ, we never have to face that judgment for ourselves. See, Jesus continues to visit us today, and as he does, he comes and offers everything he accomplished with his perfect life and all atoning death on the cross. So take every opportunity possible to encounter him where he has promised to be, in word, and in sacrament. 
and rest knowing that what Christ accomplished is enough even from you. And go from here, living your life in the light of God's grace and his mercy. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Or thank you for another day of life. Every day you give is a gift. Everything you give is undeserved. Help us to see that. Lord, thank you most of all for the gift of Christ, who rode into Jerusalem that last time to lay down his life, to pay the price for our sins, to face your full wrath so that we would never have to. Lord, give us joy as we hear God's word. Allow us to cherish it, rest in it, and trust in it. Strengthen our faith, we pray. Amen.